Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. Today on Talk Nation Radio, Maurice Carney and Harvey Wasserman. Maurice Carney is a co-founder and executive director of Friends of the Congo. He's worked with Congolese for two decades in their struggle for peace, justice, and human dignity. Carney served as the interim Africa Working Group Coordinator for Jesse Jackson while Jackson was Special Envoy to Africa. Carney has worked as a research analyst for the Joint Center for Political and Economic Studies and as a research consultant for the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. He worked with civic associations in West Africa where he trained local leaders in research, methodology, and survey techniques. And he will be speaking at No War 2016, the upcoming conference being organized by World Beyond War, which you can find at worldbeyondwar.org. Maurice Carney, welcome back to Talk Nation Radio. Uh, thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be with you. Great to yeah. have you have you back. What can we expect from this uh, session at the conference, other than the screening of your wonderful film, Crisis in the Congo? What are the connections between racism and war? Oh, certainly. Uh, we are honored to uh, be able to screen our film, Crisis in the Congo, and speak about the intersections between racism and war. As it relates to the Congo itself, as your listening audience uh, may or may not know, uh, Congo suffered the deadliest conflict in the world since World War II, where an estimated 6 million people have lost their lives uh, between 19, from 1996 uh, to the present. But where racism plays a role, um, uh, most particularly as, as it relates to global concern or traction around what is unfolding in the Congo, uh, because uh, we're talking about African lives that have been lost in this conflict, uh, a conflict that the United Nations says is uh, de- uh, um, the greatest humanitarian crisis of our, of our time, uh, there hasn't been much attention paid to it. Uh, the, the lives of these Congolese, of these Africans, have been less valued. Um, as you know, that's uh, been the case uh, when it comes to black lives or African lives. There's not as much value placed on it. So if millions die, uh, there is little uh, purchase uh, that is uh, acquired among the world's media, scholars, intellectuals, um, world governments, you name it. Uh, So this silence, this global silence that that has has existed around the loss of so many lives uh, at the conference, uh, we hope to use the platform to shatter that silence, um, to share with people uh, what is transpiring, how it's connected, the conflict itself is connected to our daily lives here in the United States, the role that U.S. foreign policy has played not only um, today but historically in uh, putting uh, the, the Congo in the position that it's, uh, that it's in currently uh, to the point where it's um, suffering for perpetual conflict, where it has suffered from the loss of uh, millions of lives and from uh, hundreds of thousands of women. Uh, who have been systematically raped as a result of this conflict. I I think you're absolutely right, Uh, but I also think there's a sort of selective moral concern, whether it's black lives or white lives. Uh, You look at the 
the, the issue of Rwanda, which every time there has to be a new war in Libya or Syria, the excuse put forward by the humanitarian warriors is because we should have had a war in Rwanda, uh, we must have a war on Libya or we must have a war on Syria. And, and over and over again, not another Rwanda, although we never hear not another Congo. What's, what's the difference there? Right. Uh, Rwanda has been used as a casus belli for uh, quote-unquote humanitarian intervention around the globe, but particularly um, in a pernicious way, as we saw in the, in the case of uh, Libya, where the United States went in under the guy, went in to decapitate its leader and really just uh, destroy the country under the guise of um, the new doctrine of responsibility to protect. Um, Rwanda, um, why, you asked the question, why is it uh, never, um, why isn't it said, because we don't want another Congo? Well, first of all, you have to acknowledge that uh, what's happening in the Congo is a product of, uh, of capitalism, uh, is a product of Western imperialism. Um, before you even uh, get to the point where you can say, why another Congo? Uh, Congo is not uh, held up uh, as a case. Uh, for prevention of atrocities uh, because uh, those who have been complicit uh, in the atrocities in the Congo uh, have been uh, U.S. allies in the case of the Rwandan government, the Ugandan government, for example. Uh, U.S. Uh, US corporations, um, individuals um, within the U.S. administration um, itself who have been on the wrong side of policies that have um, perpetuated the, the conflict uh, in the Congo. So U.S. engagement in the Congo um, is deep, um, as uh, your listening audience may know, going back uh, to uh, the 1960s, where the Congo was the first uh, post-independence African country that the United States intervened in to overthrow a democratically elected leader, uh, and Patrice Emery Lumumba, who was subsequently assassinated. And we've seen this playbook uh, around the globe, whether it was uh, Mossadegh and uh, in Iran, um, whether Allende uh, in um, in Chile, uh, you you name it. We've seen where the U.S. has gone in and overthrown democratically elected leaders, uh, and uh, as a result of that, plunge uh, the country uh, on a destructive uh, path. And this has been done um, uh, to a tremendous um, effect uh, in the Congo, where the U.S. overthrew. Uh, the elected leader Patrice Emery Lumumba and installed a dictatorship over the Congolese people for over three decades in Joseph Desiree Mobutu and has culminated in the latest crisis where the U.S. has backed an invasion of the Congo by Rwanda and Uganda. So when where U.S. interests have uh, played a role and the uh, United States government has been implicated, um, I'm not, it's not uh, a country where they would hold up as an example uh, because if you dig, uh, just scratch the surface, you'll see uh, the hand of uh, U.S. foreign policy, U.S. corporations uh, playing a destructive role in the in current situation in the country. How, how does how does U.S. foreign policy going forward and looking at the presidential election underway uh, overlap with concerns of racism and war? Because uh, we are all told that there's you know one candidate for president who is a racist, uh, but there's another candidate for president who has a habit of. Uh, as you say, destroying countries like Libya. Uh, is, there, is there an escape from racism other than going to, a, you know, to an actually good candidate like Jill Stein? Uh, 
Stein, uh, what do you make of uh, you know, of the racism present in humanitarian war making? Well, we have to tread lightly when we talk about racism and war and utilize um, individuals as a basis for our analysis uh, around that. Uh, the racism, white supremacy, it's systemic. So whether Donald Trump, uh, Hillary Clinton, or whoever else gets into power, it's the system that's in place that needs to be dismantled. Uh, a system that values one person's lives or one race's lives over another. Um, so irrespective of, uh, of who's in power, uh, people throughout the globe, people particularly in the United States, I need to organize, need to mobilize, and fight uh, racism and dismantle uh, those systems. And those systems um, go across the board. Uh, you know, you're familiar with uh, Joseph Nye's um, uh, principles around power, and he talked about hard power and soft power, hard power being military, soft power being uh, cultural, for example, like Hollywood and humanitarian institutions. So these, these systems... Um, uh, based in the in the DNA is this uh, sense of um, supremacy, uh, which plays out uh, in a in a way that um, devalues non-white life, and the policies that come out of that uh, are destructive uh, for people, particularly on the African continent. Um, you know, whether it's in Congo or Libya or what have you. So the main takeaway and the main concern is that we organize in a way, and that we mobilize in a way uh, to attack these, uh, the system of, uh, of, uh, of racism. But uh, I wanted to just um, interject just a, a bit, um, David, around concerns of Congolese in particular, with um, Hillary Clinton coming to power. Hillary Clinton was in the Congo in 2010 and uh, had a town hall with young Congolese. And one of the young Congolese asked a question. The Congolese said, uh, Secretary Clinton, how can we as young Congolese be assured that if we elect uh, a president that is independent, that you, the United States, will not come in and overthrow him and assassinate him? And she said to the, to the youth, oh, well, we need to forget about the past. We need to focus on the, on the future. Of course, she's saying forget about the past because uh, she knows the U.S. role, uh, the role that the United States has played in the, in the, in the Congo. But not only in the Congo, the Clintons have played a role in the region. It was under the Clinton administration that uh, the principle, uh, the Entebbe principles were put into effect, where they, President Clinton visited uh, Entebbe, Uganda, in 1998. And uh, coming out of that, uh, they had a, certain, a number of principles that worked to, um, how can I say, that, that worked to put the, the region in uh, a dependent, impoverished, and unstable situation. Uh, principles, one of the main principles where they identify what they call the Renaissance leaders, new breed of African leaders. And they included people like Yari Museveni and uh, Paul Kagame. And a few things that these leaders had in common is, one, they, are all, they were rebel leaders. They came to power at the bow of a gun. Uh, they wound up being authoritarian figures where they imposed uh, their will on the, uh, their uh, force on the people against their, their will. They invaded other African countries. 
they're responsible for the death of millions of, uh, of Africans, and they promote uh, neoliberal policies uh, in the heart of Africa. So with the Clintons coming back, uh, potentially coming back into power, uh, the people in the region are uh, truly concerned because two of their protégés, uh, Rwanda's Pakagami and uh, Uganda's Jerry Museveni, are still in power. So they, uh, the people of the region, the Congolese and Ugandans and Rwandans, are very concerned uh, about uh, uh, possible um, President uh, Hillary Clinton because they'll see they're right now they're caught in a death trap, and they believe that uh, with the Clintons coming back in, in force, uh, that may perpetuate uh, the suffering of the people or help to perpetuate the suffering of the people in the region. And, and at the same time, U.S. military presence expanding across the continent of Africa, as well as you know, weapons being given to local police here in the United States. We have just a, a minute left. Maurice Carney, how can uh, it, groups that are working against racism here in the United States uh, connect with groups that are working on the issues you're talking about uh, uh, abroad and, and connect with trying to reform or reverse U.S. foreign policy? Uh, several ways. Um, a necessary prerequisite is, of course, knowing about what's going on, because the way the U.S. is structured, uh, it makes it difficult for people to or the way the U.S. corporate media works, it makes it difficult for people to know about what's happening outside the U.S., especially um, uh, from a, a progressive or a radical uh, perspective. So one is to seek out the, the information. Uh, for us around the Congo, we at friendsofthecongo.org. Uh, that's a website you can go to find out the latest about what's happening in the Congo and in the, in the, in the heart of Africa. Uh, once they have access to information, and they have to share that information within their networks. Maurice Carney, thank you very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Uh, thank you, Dave. Really appreciate it. I am now pleased to welcome back to Talk Nation Radio Harvey Wasserman. Harvey Wasserman is uh, already known to these listeners as a lifelong activist who speaks, writes, and organizes widely on energy, the environment, history, the drug war, election protection, and grassroots politics. He works for the permanent shutdown of the nuclear power industry and the birth of Solartopia, a democratic and socially just green-powered Earth free of all fossil and nuclear fuels. He is a senior advisor to Greenpeace, and he will be speaking at No War 2016, the upcoming conference that you can sign up to attend or watch the live stream at worldbeyondwar.org. Harvey Wasserman, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Well, it's great to be with you, David. It's a spectacular thing you do here. Uh, it's it's great to be on your show now and then, and it's uh, wonderful to have you back on here and that you will be coming to Washington, D.C. Uh, and speaking uh, as a featured speaker at this conference on the topic of protecting the environment from war by ending war. Uh, it, what, is, what does war have to do with the environment? Well, unfortunately, everything. You know, they say that the first casualty of war is truth. Uh, the second casualty, of course, is human beings, and the third is the environment. Um, war is really about destroying the environment in many, many ways, as we saw in Vietnam, with the uh, probably the worst uh, deliberate environmental crime ever committed against the planet, which was the spraying of Agent Orange uh, throughout Vietnam with the express purpose 
of destroying the the uh, the forest there, and uh, that so often, if you look at the uh, pictures of uh, Europe uh, during and after World War One and to the absolute decimation of the environment, and uh, you know the people who plan and perpetrate wars uh, are always interested in taking out uh, pieces of our planet. So. A war against people is also, and other nations is always, always war against the environment as well. And uh, it's something that we really have to uh, take into account as we continue. I mean, the, the, the fact that the United States of America has an, at least 900 bases with one in virtually every country in the world uh, is an indicator that our resources are being profoundly misallocated and that the uh, the production of weapons and especially of nuclear weapons uh, really is a signals of death knell for our ability to survive on this planet. Yeah, it seems to me if we were to tax the super rich, you know, once one year and take away most of their money, that would be a big chunk of change you could put into something useful like human or environmental needs. Uh, but if you wanted some way to fund the creation of solar topia year after year after year uh, the trillion dollars or so that the u.s government puts into militarism each year looks like the only place i'm aware of that has that kind of money absolutely you know a lot of us when the cold war ended we naively believed that the resources that had gone into that insane endeavor um would be uh, redirected to solarizing the planet and um, putting the, uh, an infrastructure in place that would operate in harmony with the earth and, uh, really much of the opposite happened. So, uh, I, I will say, David, that I think the, the number one illness, the number one disease facing humankind in our social systems, which is directly related to militarism, it's actually, it's, it's twin, is the corporation. Because our, our, the basis of our economic system is a a, a a fabricated um, uh, organism that has absolutely no um, uh, response mechanism to the needs of the environment or, or of human beings. The corporation's sole purpose under law is to make profit. And so it doesn't respond to the needs of the environment. And part of that profit, of course, is based on the industry of war. I mean, war is a business of uh, or a racket. Uh, as has been so widely pointed out by you and others, and so what we have in our in our economic uh, uh, organism is a, a cancer that uh, metastasizes strictly on the basis of profit, and part of that profit is bound up in war. And uh, until we can deal with that, uh, we're really going to have a very difficult uh, prognosis for surviving on this planet. How do we get? people who understand that problem from a certain angle and want to go after corporate abuses and corporate powers and even uh, restore the, the power to, uh, to shut down corporations uh, or restructure our economy entirely, or who want to go after environmental destruction but don't really want to touch the issue of war. I mean, I don't know a better environmental group out there than Greenpeace, uh, and it's got peace in the name, but it doesn't have a single staffer who does anything uh, related to peace. How do we, how do we get environmental groups and anti-corporate abuse groups and anti-war groups together uh, to be a stronger movement? 
Well, I think we have to understand the common ground here. The common ground of, of our problem is uh, the profit motive of uh, economic entities that have no uh, legal accountability, and that, that part of their business is is war. And not only uh, the war, of, you know, violent war between nations or um, guerrilla groups or or uh, private armies or Donald Trumps, but also things like the drug war. I mean, the drug war has been, which is aptly named, um, uh, has really nothing to do with drugs. It's all about preventing black people from voting and um, uh, gutting the uh, communities of, of color and of youth uh, that would challenge the, the uh, ruling elite. Uh, and and uh, that, that's a form of the war against humankind and against nature that uh, has been very profound and, di- and difficult to deal with. I think the, um, there is an understanding among many of the environmental groups, especially when it comes to the production of nuclear weapons, that uh, the, econo- the environmental impacts of this war- business of war are uh, extreme and really need to be dealt with. I mean, uh, we, I think most people would, by this point in time who are active on these issues sees uh, a holistic connection between all of it, you know, poverty, racism, um, um, destruction of the environment and uh, the the business of war, they're all really of a piece. And uh, the, the question is, where where do we fight most effectively? And um, I have a lot of faith in, in people's ability to, our, our species' ability to evolve and figure these things out. I, I just see us as a species being plagued with this corporate disease, uh, this cancer, uh, of which war and empire, really, the, the key word, I think, really is empire, um, uh, that, that plague us. I mean, the United States has taken upon itself um, to uh, have troops everywhere, all over the world. Uh, we, are, we now have essentially institutionalized the uh, reality of permanent war. Um, you know, ever since Iraq, uh, the, the insane invasion of Iraq, we've, we've been at war, and there seems to be sort of this accommodation to the idea that we will always have an imperial war going somewhere in the world. I mean, right now it's Afghanistan, ironically the most remote country uh, on Earth pretty much from us. And uh, uh, if it's not Iraq, it's going to be or, or Afghanistan or Libya or somewhere else. It will be somewhere else. And that's the mentality that we really have to cut through. We've gotten to a point now where the countries, uh, certainly the media, and the corporations are addicted to a permanent war state. And this is a really devastatingly powerful problem that we all have to face. Yeah, that seems like what needs to be taken on. I mean, going after nuclear weapons uh, is one angle that uh, World Beyond War is pursuing and others are pursuing and is uh, a workshop at this uh, upcoming conference in Washington. But, uh, you know, I was struck by Gorbachev's remark in his new book that as long as the United States intends on dominating the planet with so-called conventional weapons, other countries are not going to get rid of their nuclear weapons. And, of course, we're seeing other countries get nuclear energy for the purpose of being close to getting nuclear weapons. Uh, meanwhile, if you're, if you're a pro football player in the United States uh, and refuse to stand up and worship the flag for the Star-Spangled Banner, uh, you're you know, ostracized and excommunicated from the state religion. It, it, it seems that, th- that 
how do we how do we make it possible for for groups uh, to be willing to take on that challenge of you know of facing that storm that you know this football player is facing? Well, I want to you know with Colin Kaepernick, he's actually a great quarterback. I love watching him play, and um, I'm, I'm really glad that he stood up. We've seen other athletes stand up now. You know, LeBron James and some of the NBA guys uh, were wearing Black Lives Matter shirts. Uh, we're seeing, and, and the, the columns of Dave Zirin are, are, you know, are, are very good on this. We're, we're seeing the politicization of the of sports in terms of the athletes themselves, and I think this is a good thing. And uh, they, they, they've taken great risks, and uh, it, we've seen a steady evolution here. You know, dating back to Wimbledon, when uh, when the women who were playing Wimbledon demanded and got equal pay, everything now in this country is being uh, politicized by a very, very diverse constituency. And I think, um, you know, I was very disappointed that Bernie Sanders never really took on the issue of permanent war. Uh, but the, the arousal of such excitement and um, uh, rebellion uh, in that campaign prior, previously, you know, the, the Occupy movement before that, others, uh, I think they're all coming together. And I think it's our job at this conference, uh, David, to sort of put together an, an easily understandable, um, uh, um, shall we say, piece of literature that will link uh, the, our state of permanent imperial war to uh, all the other ills, environmental, uh, social justice, uh, the horrible prison system that we've spawned. It, it all ties together. And, uh, and it's all based on the fact that the United States has become an empire uh, dominated by a classic imperial elite, and that, you know, this is exactly what we fought against in our American Revolution in 1776. But thankfully, we have that revolution to uh, refer to, and, and we really need to revive that understanding. Uh, yeah, sounds like a plan. It's what we were trying to do with the website as well at worldbeyondwar.org. Uh, I, I was struck, though, that even uh, you know a football player willing to take a stand uh, against racism and police violence when questioned, what exactly did you mean, swore his allegiance to the military and, oh, please don't understand, I'm not against any wars and so forth. I, I mean, that's just too far, apparently, uh, in this day and age. It wasn't too far for Muhammad Ali or some athletes in the past uh, to, to actually risk prison over, but now you can't even say it. Uh, so I think we have some more work to do, huh? Oh, plenty. Yeah, sure, a lot. And, and, uh, uh, but it's a start, or you know, it's something real, and uh, never underestimate the, the groundswell of, uh, of understanding that we have. I mean, uh, there, there's a lot going on in the in the non-mainstream um, media uh, that, that that's of interest, and uh, I think people, uh, we are as a species, uh, ultimately do have a survival mechanism, and the, the top agenda item there is to get rid of war, and um, uh, you know we're just going to have to keep banging away uh, until it happens, and it will happen. We will get rid of war at the moment we least expect it. But it will happen, and conferences like this are critical to making sure that we have the language and the core understanding to spread around 
as we now can do with the Internet and so many other uh, media uh, at our disposal. So uh, but getting the, this core understanding is what's really important, David. And in this case, the way the world is now, the root of war uh, really is empire. And, and the corporate profit motive. Those two are really the twin cancers that are plaguing our society. And uh, if we can name them and uh, make it clear what, what they're about, I think uh, other things will follow. Wonderful. We look forward to hearing more in Washington in late September. And we will put up links to all of your independent media at talknationradio.org. Harvey Wasserman, thanks for everything you do and for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Well, my pleasure, uh, David. Your, your work is always an inspiration to me, and we'll see you in September. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.